Hey, I'm Tiffany Woise, and this is the best of What's Mine is Yours. Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. Our guest today is Forrest Glenn Whitehead. Forrest grew up in Louisiana, always knowing he wanted to make music, Forrest knew he had to be in Nashville. He made the move to Music City when he was 18 years old. Since then, Forrest has had multiple number one songs and has produced Grammy-nominated records. He is most known for his success with Kelsey Ballerini, but has also had his songs cut by other artists such as Dylan Scott and Brantley Gilbert. I really enjoyed sitting down with Forrest. First and foremost, he's such a kind, sweet, humble, person. I think I can say out of everybody I've sat down with, he's felt the most real. And I've loved everybody I've sat down with. It's just he's really, really humble. And I get the feeling that he just doesn't take any of it for granted. And he has a love and a passion for this, which is what you want to see. He knew a lot of people that I work with already, because a lot of people who I work with used to work at Black River, which is where Kelsey Ballerini is signed. Forrest Glenn Whitehead. What's up? Thank you so much for being here today and to be on What's Mine is Yours. I'm really happy to have you. I want to start off just with a quick rapid fire. Favorite artist in Nashville? Favorite artist in Nashville? Well, see, I don't know if this artist has always been in Nashville, but I know he has a place here. Steven Tyler. I know that's a random artist, but it's somebody that the first cassette that I found growing up was a Aerosmith Nine Lives came out in 1997. I found this cassette tape and it was the first introduction with music. And I have this obsession of just I always see Steven Tyler posting places. He'll play the Bluebird or whatever. I haven't been lucky enough to see him out, but he's just a big influence. Somebody I've been inspired by a long time. So he's definitely my favorite artist. Awesome. I love Aerosmith. So yeah, I mean, have you ridden the ride at Disney World? The Yes, the rock and roller coaster. Yeah. Yes. That's like the best ride yeah, there. Oh, so good. Okay. Most impactful song that you've heard? I guess the era of me coming up in Nashville and getting started in a publishing company, there was a song written by Josh Osborne called Merry Go Round. It was written with Casey Musgrave, Shane McAnally. And whenever I heard that song the first time, the demo just kind of come through the publishing company and it just made you want to quit songwriting in the best way because it's, man, if I can't write that good, that's the bar. So for me to have a song that that's real and, and true, and now I know that's been a hit a, a few years ago, but for me, an important song, you know, I could also say something like Humble and Kind with Laurie McKenna writing that by herself, a very important song with a huge message. But I feel like a lot of these songs are the events, the times in your life that are most influential. So as a songwriter trying to make it in Nashville, when you hear a song like that for the first time, you're like, that's the bar. I need to produce and write to that reel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those are the influential songs for me. How does it feel to be someone who directly helped 
Kelsey Ballerini discover her sound and who she was as an artist early on? It's awesome. When you move to Nashville, you always look up the ladder of these songwriters and artists that have things going on. But what's so awesome about that project is we were just friends in a room writing songs. Mm -hmm. And we were set up with the right opportunity, being in a situation with a publisher that could actually take those songs and do something with it. And I feel like the opportunity is getting more and more available for people to upload directly to Spotify. 2013, 14, this was before Spotify was kind of even a thing, right? Mm -hmm. So when her first records were popping off, it was kind of the old school method of getting a record up the charts. And that being said, there wasn't no pressure on it. It feels amazing, but at the same time, when you look back on it, it felt just like friends in a room hanging out. And that's the coolest thing because, you know, as things do get successful and there is an expectation on it, the feeling changes. The whole thing evolves and it grows into something different. But that's why my favorite part of the process is the beginning stages of when you have that gut feeling when you're writing a great song in a room or you land on a great hook. Maybe you produce a great demo. You have this feeling and you have this excitement. And that doesn't come through anybody else saying that it's good or anything. You just have this pride in what you've just done. And I feel like if you work with people consistent enough and with your friend group, that's what Nashville's about. The magical part about the Kelsey Projects was friends in a room just creating what they thought was cool. We didn't have any other songwriters looking at it or writing with us at the time. And of course, upon the success, a lot of other writers wanted to become a part of it. And that's amazing. It just, everything evolves. But what's so cool about it is being in Nashville and the opportunity actually becoming what you dream about. And so, yes, it feels nothing short of amazing. What was your favorite song that you guys wrote together? The first one. There was a song, Love Me Like You Mean, it was the first single. And just piggybacking off what I just said, the feeling that we had when we wrote the song and then spending the next two days on the demo and then sending the demo, I was just like, I don't care what anybody says. This is a fucking hit. This yeah. is it. Like, Having, so you knew, you felt, you had a gut feeling about that. Okay. Some people will say that you can't know or whatever. You have this feeling when you know something amazing happens. Not saying I can point to every song that I've ever written and say that was hit, but on days like Peter Pan, even Yeah Boy, one of the earlier singles, the fun that we had and the excitement that we felt, I just knew that we had a good time. A lot of those rights weren't the rights that were, you know, thinking what the hook is four hours in. Like they came very quick and easy. And I feel like when you're writing with talented writers, that's the case a lot of times. And a lot of that being is they know what to chase and what not to. Mm -hmm. And Kelsey's very great at that too. I was say, what is Kelsey like in a writing room? Exactly that. And any great artist and writer is this way. They don't waste time or waste energy. And I've seen this through songwriters like Brandy Clark and Shane McNally and Osborne. Again, them being my mentors in a way, I've absorbed how they are in a room. And they don't waste time chasing a direction or exploring something that may or may not work. Any lane that they're going to take you down is a good yeah. option. And so I feel like in the room, Kelsey's that way too. If there's something that is off or that hook's not off, then we're not going to mess with that. Let's write something different. Let's go a different direction. So by the end of the session, you have something that everybody is excited about. You're never in those sessions like just trying to make it through. Yeah. And that can become a thing, writing songs every day here in Nashville. You're trying to get through another session. And that's never where the hits are. That's always the ones that feel like this this energy that you're almost a vessel bringing something to life rather than you laboring over a song. It just 
comes to life. What was it about your style that you think clicked really well with Kelsey's style? Because I'm a weird dude who grew up on <laughs> Shania Twain and Taylor Swift. Like for my 18th birthday, my wife now, but girlfriend at the time, bought me the Taylor Swift CD, Fearless. And I listened to it over and over and I loved the production. And I found out about this guy named Nathan Chapman. And I just became obsessed with pop country in that way. Mm -hmm. And I signed my first publishing deal. I believe in the law of attraction. I believe in the Lord, but I also believe that you can attract things in your life. And I spent a lot of time thinking and planning and plotting and talking. I mean, even the publishers at the time, Robert Carlton and uh, Celia Froelich, we would talk and have conversations about what the career path would be. And I was like, if I could find a Shania Twain or if I could find this artist that this before Kelsey was even signed, mm -hmm. this is 2011, 12. And so she ended up coming through and singing a vocal in one of the studios there one day. And she played me a song that she wrote by herself. I was just blown away. And we just immediately connected because, I don't know, some people you just connect with mm -hmm. because you grew up on the same type of music. You listen to the same things and you're just on the same page a lot easier. Yeah. And for me, no shame. I love that type of music. I grew up on it. I loved hearing Shania Twain on the radio. If you look up Mutt Lang, who was behind all that stuff, he produced a lot of the biggest rock records in the 80s. So learning all that stuff, I was just like, I want to be a Mutt Lang. That's what I want to be. I really put a lot of energy in focusing on that. And there's a lot of weird stories behind the whole first single and stuff. But me and Kelsey talked about how cool would it be if Taylor Swift heard what we were working on. Oh, and then Yeah Boy, the tweet she made about Yeah Boy. Yeah. And I remember I was on the road as a musician at the time, wasn't even a full-time producer. I was traveling, playing for Brandy Clark, but I got a text from Kelsey saying, you will not believe what just happened. We had just dropped the EP and it was a text freaking out because Taylor Swift tweeted and hashtag three of the songs that we did on that first EP. That's what broke the gates open. But that conversation went something like, Force, you will not believe this. Do you remember when we were talking about how cool it would be? I got chills thinking about it. Yeah. I really do. Because it was that full circle moment of wanting to come to Nashville and attracting that, that type of thing because I've always been inspired by that. And then here we are where Taylor Swift is acknowledging it. And really the thought of me moving to Nashville one time was, I want to move to Nashville and play guitar for Taylor Swift. That was my thought. And I, that, never, <laughs> that never happened, but she heard my guitar on Kelsey's record. You know, and that was a whole that's kind full of a circle full circle thing. thing. Yeah. 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 So that was a cool Nashville thing that it would happen nowhere else unless yeah. you just show up for the opportunity. Did you and Kelsey's camp at the time ever, especially since you were direct, like you were right there involved in all the creative aspects from the songwriting to the producing. Did you guys receive any backlash from Nashville because of it being too, quote unquote, pop? <laughs> yeah. So part of believing in what you're doing before anybody else does, when you're here in Nashville and you have a lot of fancy people, positions that, you know, can sign you to a record deal or sign you to a publishing deal, you want to impress these people. Mm -hmm. You want them to like you, you want them to be into what you're doing. But there also is this thing of this knowing that what you're doing and what you're creating is great. Uh -huh. And I feel like a lot of people are learning that going directly to Spotify and TikTok now and getting validation from fans and what's working. But it didn't used to always be that way. In Nashville, you kind of had to play the game of having other people in town approve what you're doing before it goes out, right? Mm -hmm. So I would take Love Me Like You Mean It, the produced version, and play it at different publishers. I was pitching the song. Before Kelsey was like, oh, really? Yeah. You pitched it before? I pitched the song. And this is one of those things where I was also just kind of testing the water to see how people reacted. And the first email that we got from a publisher was like, I don't I'll ever hear this working on country radio, way too pop. <laughs> and then 
the, a lot of meetings that I played after that was just like, this is cool, but I just don't see who could ever sing this. Way too pop, right? And we heard that so much. And even the first sides that we turned into the label was scared. It's way too pop. We're not going to get it up the charts. So they ended up putting a fiddle player on it and a steel player on it and changing the production a lot. And that wasn't the versions that ended up breaking through. But again, you have those resistance periods and the people around you that do put a lot of doubt in your mind. And so there is this thing that I just really attach myself to as far as as a creative, before you know all the details and you're just creating blind off of just what's exciting to you, instead of just chasing what your publisher or someone else may say is cool, there's magic there. And it's hard, it's hard to lock into that because we want to be validated by our publisher. Mm-hmm. We want people in town or at the songwriter round to, to love what we're doing. But a lot of that comes from being confident and chasing something that maybe people don't understand or get at the time. That's what I've learned. Since you said you went out and you were pitching Love Me Like You Mean It, yeah. th- were those songs not being written for Kelsey at the time? No, they were. I didn't have any cuts other than like a Brantley Gilbert cut at the time. I was most proud of her project. So mm-hmm. when somebody asked me, what are you working on? What are you playing? Or what do you have to play me? I would play Kelsey's songs. Mm-hmm. I would play her record. So again, it was just kind of like testing the waters of, I want to see what they say. Yeah. I, it never was with the intention of a Miranda Lambert cutting a Kelsey okay, song. Yeah. It was more about, I'm in feel. this situation of this label's about asking me what I'm excited about. I'm in a pitch meeting. I'm going to play them the project I'm excited about. Sure. And I'll still do the same thing now with artists that I'm working on and working to develop now. If somebody asks me that, I'm going to play you a new artist that I'm working on to try to get it in the door. Yeah. So, How did you get introduced to Kelsey? Like, when did that relationship begin? We met at Black River mm-hmm. at the time. Now, this is way before its time. There was a hired engineer. His name was Austin Krasavi, but he had a room at the top of Black River where he was just the Pro Tools guy, meaning this is amazing. Songwriters listen to this. It was an amazing time at a publishing company to where you basically had a producer on staff waiting for you to finish the song. Then you could take it upstairs and he would build a demo for you. And through that, it attracted people to come in that studio and use that room to do demos with Austin. And that was the first time I met Kelsey is she came in to sing a vocal in a demo for Austin. Mm. And that's where the first introduction was, hey, let me play you this song that I just wrote. And just her excitement. I can't remember what the exact song was that she played me the first time, but it really took me by surprise because here I was two or three years into a publishing deal and I was writing with published writers and professional writers a lot. And here this girl come off the street and she's singing a song that just yeah, it blew me away. And it's a thing where your antenna goes up, especially as a producer too, on something that's like, wow. And I just remember that happening and then making it a point to, to write as much as possible. The group that was at Black River at that time, we just were all writing together week by week. And we didn't know we were writing an album, yeah. but we were just kind of, it was just the right opportunity at the right time. And that pool of people were just invested in it. Again, it wasn't about money. It wasn't about hits. It was just about we just love this. We're just here showing up every day and we have the opportunity to do it and something amazing happened. Is that why you think it worked? Yes. Like why it took off is because it was just kind of all the right things at the right time. Well, I feel like so many people try to manufacture the right things at the right time Mm -hmm. and try to connect things and make it happen to where organically you're not going to stop something that just wants to work. And that's where the power of TikTok, you upload something that just resonates and then you wake up to 50,000 views or whatever it is that turns into something else. I feel like in this day and age, it's about surrounding yourself with people that get what you do as an artist, Mm -hmm. being patient, but also 
outputting a lot of stuff, testing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And this is a different thought process than even the way labels and publishing companies work two or three years ago, where everybody wants to be quiet, hold up, and then release this big project, even the way Kelsey's project was. Now it's about building your audience, seeing what works, and then the labels are going to get involved. It's so different. So different. But in a way, it's in the independent's favor because you don't have to wait for people to sign off on it. If you create something with your group and you post it and it takes off, then that's going to give you more attention, more leverage than you being somebody waiting on somebody to believe in you. Because it all starts with a song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woods. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can stay updated with all things What's Mine Is Yours by visiting WMIYpodcast.com or following me on socials at Tiffany Woys and the podcast at WMIYpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woys in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woys and V. Ed Hill. Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. You can check out my music on all streaming services and a special playlist we've created for each episode with songs written by each guest only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to What's Mine is Yours. 